Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Monday, February 26th, 2024. All right, I hope everybody had a good weekend. I was in Mississippi. Uh, at the their state Libertarian Party convention where I gave a speech and met some really cool people. Some people who listen to this show and read antiwar.com, which is uh, really cool. Um, so I was traveling most of the day uh, today, but we had a lot of help. Uh, Kyle Anzalone uh, wrote a bunch and, and a couple other guys here. So we have no shortage of content here. So the first story at the top of antiwar.com today Netanyahu says the hostage deal would only delay an attack on Rafah. So Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu explained that if Israel agrees to a new hostage deal with Hamas, it would only delay the Israeli attack on Rafah. International aid organizations have warned that an attack on the city of 1.5 million will be devastating to the civilian population. So there was some progress on the when it comes to the hostage deal negotiations, the U.S., Egypt, and Qatar, they presented a new outline for a hostage deal to Israel during these talks on Friday that I think were held in Paris. And apparently the outline would be six-week pause in fighting in exchange for the release of 40 Israeli captives. Hamas, I think there's about a little over 100 who are who are still left in Gaza. So they would release 40. That would probably be, you know, the, the remaining uh, non-soldiers. And Israel would also release a few hundred Palestinians. But this deal was worked out between the U.S., Egypt, and Qatar. So again, they presented it to Israel. So it's not clear if, you know, either side is going to go for this thing. Um, but at least that that's the potential deal that is on the table because but still you have Hamas is their their top priority has been trying to end this thing permanently permanent ceasefire and Netanyahu you know what he said uh in this is is basically that even if we agree to this deal once the ceasefire is over you know we're going to go right back at it and and that includes the attack on on Rafa uh, he said, quote, once we begin the Rafa operation, the intense phase of fighting is weeks away from completion, not months. If we don't have a deal, we'll do it anyway, end quote. So saying if there is no deal, they're going to do it. And I know Benny Gantz said that they would do it by Ramadan if there was no deal, which starts on March 10th. But also, if there is a deal, they're going to do it again anyway. Now, I think it'll be much harder for Netanyahu to restart if there's a six-week ceasefire. If there's six weeks of calm in Gaza, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him not to restart it, um, you know, internationally at least. I don't think the U.S. is going to put any pressure on him, unfortunately. Uh, we haven't seen any change in thinking when it comes to the unconditional military support. But this goes to show that, you know, his plan is to to keep this thing going, really, no matter what, hostage deal or no hostage deal. All right, so the next one here, Israeli defense minister says that a ceasefire in Gaza would mean escalation in Lebanon. So this is really something. This article is from Jason Ditz, and it says ongoing fighting on the Lebanon-Israel border may well get much worse, according to Israeli defense minister Yoav Gallant, commenting on the ongoing ceasefire talks looking to at least temporarily stop the open-ended offensive 
against the Gaza Strip. Gallant says that Israel will, quote, increase fire in the north independently, end quote, if there is a pause. So he's actually saying if there is a ceasefire in Gaza, they're going to increase fire against Hezbollah, against southern Lebanon. And Jason points out here that one thing Hezbollah is saying why they're not looking to negotiate a deal right now is because uh, of what's happening in Gaza. They've been saying once that is over, then we will stop. And this is Israel saying basically that they're going to escalate. You know, if oh we're not fighting Gaza, we're going to start, you know, ramping things up uh, against Lebanon. So, and when there was the the one-week truce back in November, things really calmed down. You know, everything calmed down in Iraq and Syria, uh, up up in, in Lebanon. So, this just goes to show that Israel is thinking, you know, of provoking a, a bigger war uh, in the region. Um and this, uh, these comments came, uh, you know, the fighting, the, the, the trade of fire across the border between Israel and Hezbollah continues. There was an explosion this weekend on the Syrian side of the Syria-Lebanon border, which killed at least three Hezbollah members. Um, so this is in Syria, where Israel rarely, you know, comments on their attacks on their individual airstrikes in Syria. So we haven't seen a comment from them, but I think it's a pretty safe bet that it was Israel. Um, when it comes to the strikes in Lebanon, they usually, uh, you know, announce those. But so this is what Israel's defense minister is saying. Ceasefire here. Escalation will happen here. So definitely uh, not good. All right. The next one here. Netanyahu plans Gaza military occupation without time limit. This is another article from Kyle. And this says that Israel has released its first draft of its plans for post-war Gaza. Throughout the four months of a brutal onslaught, Israeli forces have decimated the Strip and killed around 30,000 Palestinians. Netanyahu's post-war plans call for operational freedom of action in the entire Gaza Strip without a time limit and the demilitarization of Palestinians. So, of course, Netanyahu releasing his post-war plan, it's not some peace plan for a two-state solution. It's a permanent military occupation of the Gaza Strip. And uh, they first released this document on Thursday. And according to a translation from NBC News, the document says that Israel will, quote, maintain its operational freedom of action in the entire Gaza Strip without a time limit. And the security perimeter being created in the Gaza Strip on the border with Israel will remain as long as there is a security need for it, end quote. So that's that so-called buffer zone that's at least one kilometer within the Gaza Strip from the Israeli border that they're creating. And they're also building this road uh, south of Gaza City to separate northern Gaza from southern Gaza. And this plan also calls for control of the border between Egypt and Gaza. And that is something that Egypt uh, has has warned against, this idea of Israel basically taking over that border as well. Um, that's the one border, the Rafah border crossing is the only one that, that Egypt controls going into Gaza. So this would basically give Israel complete control of all the, the borders of, of the Gaza Strip. Um, and he says he will not Netanyahu is also saying that he will not allow the rebuilding of the Gaza Strip 
to begin until Palestinians have been de-radicalized. So now, remember, we have also seen Israeli military intelligence saying that Hamas can't, even if they destroy Hamas's military you know, structures, uh, that Hamas won't be defeated. They, they will continue on as a guerrilla group, as a terrorist group. Um, so, you know, this idea of de-radicalization after killing so many Palestinians, which is, of course, going to um, help Hamas recruit, um, you know, this is just open-ended. And I think, you know, the ultimate goal, again, for Netanyahu is that they want to get the Palestinians out of there. Um, but, yeah, this is just... Uh, it goes to show, again, you see all the, this this rhetoric from the U.S. like, oh, yeah, we envision this great two-state solution in the future, but it's just not in line with any sort of reality. Uh, all right, so the next one here, U.S. officials are alarmed by Israeli disruptions to aid. So this is another one from Kyle. And it says the White House has asked the Israeli government to end attacks on police in Gaza. Targeting the civil police force has caused more chaos in the Strip and made aid distribution nearly impossible. U.S. officials believe that the Israeli actions to prevent aid deliveries in Gaza are creating a humanitarian crisis similar to the situation that once existed in Mogadishu, Somalia. Um, so they're saying because the, the police force in Gaza was working with the aid groups to distribute the aid, they're saying that because Israel has been targeting them, and, and we've seen this, that you know aid trucks are getting looted. Of course, that's going to happen when you have a starving population um, and there's nobody really to protect this truck. So that's why a lot of, I think, you know, UNRWA uh, paused aid deliveries in northern Gaza. And that's a big reason why, because there's no way for them to to protect the trucks. And in the north, that's where people are starving, you know, face really, really facing starvation. And, and children are already starting to starve to death. We've seen reports of, you know, one child here, one child there dying of starvation. And, um, you know, that's going to keep adding up. So, and apparently, according to this, the, you know, the U.S. believes that Israel, you know, is is taking all these actions that are preventing aid deliveries. All right, so the next one here, a U.S. airman sets himself on fire at the Israeli embassy to protest the Gaza genocide. So this happened on Sunday, and this is a really crazy story. Um, and if you're watching here, you can see the picture of him. Uh, on fire. And this is, again, in front of the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. So an active duty U.S. airman, a member of the U.S. Air Force, set himself on fire in front of the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. to protest the U.S.-backed slaughter of Palestinians in Gaza. According to Axios, a video of the incident shows the airman, who has yet to be publicly identified, saying that he would quote, no longer be complicit in genocide, end quote. And he also said he was about to engage in an extreme act of protest, and he went on and said, quote, but compared to what people have been experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it's not extreme at all. This is what our ruling class has decided will be normal, end quote. And he said that right before lighting himself on fire. So I haven't seen the video, but it has been uh, the, the first reporter that I saw who obtained it uh, is a woman named Talia Jane. She's an independent journalist, and she was tweeting about it. And then I saw Axios and CNN and Task and Purpose and all these media outlets uh, have the video, and they all said it 
you know, the same thing about it. So while he was on fire, the airman repeatedly shouted, free Palestine. He burned for about one minute before law enforcement officers extinguished the flames. And then according to Jane, the, the journalist, one of the officers initially drew his gun on the airman as he burned. That was the reaction to pull out his gun. Um, so Washington, D.C.'s Fire and Emergency Medical Services Department said in a post on X that the airman was transported to a hospital with critical life-threatening injuries. The department also said that the officers who extinguished the fire were members of the U.S. Secret Service. So, I mean, this has to be a first. I've never heard of a member of the U.S. military lighting themselves on fire to protest something that the U.S. military uh, and the U.S. government is supporting. Um, and I mean, this is a extreme, extreme action and very, you know, it's not clear if this guy's going to survive. Ho- hopefully he does. Um, you know, you got to think there's a lot of things, a, a, you know, an active duty person in the military could do to show, you know, to, to protest this thing uh, besides lighting themselves on fire. But hopefully he, he lives. And uh, I, I mean, I think it does go to show just how extreme this this thing is that this slaughter that the U.S. is supporting. And, right, you know, the numbers right now, it's approaching 30,000 Palestinians killed. And that's Gaza's health ministry number, which doesn't account for the thousands of people who are missing and under the rubble. Uh, over 69,000 wounded, and about two-thirds of these casualties are, are women and children. Um, so this is a uh, very, you know, I think this is the most extreme thing we've seen in the U.S., in response, you know, when it comes to protests or potential reaction to to what the U.S. is supporting in Gaza, and it's from a active duty airman. So, uh, again, hopefully he survives. All right. So the next one here: Israel hinders Gaza aid by delaying visas for aid workers. This is another one from Kyle, and this says this is kind of another way that Israel is hindering aid deliveries. It says that they're using bureaucratic red tape to delay the entry of aid workers into the West Bank as well as as Gaza. And this is reported by Haaretz. They said Israel's Population and Immigration Authority is refusing to grant visas for employees of international aid agencies that operate in Gaza and the West Bank. Officials in Israel claim that the visas had not been issued due to bureaucratic rearrangement. However, aid workers told Haaretz they believe the denials are politically motivated. So this is really just another way that Israel is is delaying the aid deliveries. Uh, all right, so the next one here, Israel escalates demolitions in East Jerusalem. So this article is from Connor Freeman. And this is about, so this is East Jerusalem, occupied East Jerusalem. And since October 7th, since, you know, this is all popped off, there's been, Israel has been taking advantage, you know, both the Israeli settlers, the Israeli military has been taking advantage of all the tensions and all the focus on Gaza to really be pushing the Palestinians out of their homes in the West Bank and East Jerusalem uh, as well here. Um, so, you know, and this is under the cover of the slaughter that's happening in Gaza. So according to Al Jazeera, in the eastern side of the city of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem municipality has been escalating home demolitions since the brutal Israeli onslaught in Gaza began last year. East Jerusalem, where 362,000 Palestinians live, has been illegally occupied by the Israeli military for almost 60 years, along with the rest of the West Bank. 
Uh, Tel Aviv's pseudo justification for their organized destruction of Palestinian homes is the claim that these residents are built without permits. So basically, the Palestinians can't get permits to build things in these occupied territories. So their lack of permits, you know, they they have to build homes and, and businesses and stuff. And then the Israelis use that as the justification to demolish these places and and kick the Palestinians out. And uh, he has the number in here somewhere of um, the number of demolitions. So East Jerusalem has seen 87 residences belonging to Palestinians destroyed by Israeli authorities since the October 7th Hamas attack, compared with 97 home demolitions during the first nine months of 2023. So you could see that there's a clear spike in, in these home demolitions. All right, so the next one here. Um, the U.S. reverses course on West Bank settlements. This article is from Will Porter at the Libertarian Institute, and it says that the planned expansion of Israeli settlements in the occupied West Bank is inconsistent with international law. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said, potentially signaling a policy shift for Washington. Speaking to media in Buenos Aires on Friday, the top U.S. diplomat addressed reports that Tel Aviv intends to construct thousands of new settlement units across the West Bank, saying that the White House was disappointed by the news. This was something that was announced by Bezalel Smotrich, the Israeli finance minister, who's also a minister in the defense ministry. And and in that minister position, he's basically in charge of the West Bank. And this guy is a settler himself and explicitly wants to kick all the Palestinians out of there. Um, So Blinken said, quote, our administration maintains a firm opposition to settlement expansion And in our judgment, this only weakens and does not strengthen Israel's security, end quote. Uh, And then he added that settlements were inconsistent with international law and counterproductive to reaching enduring peace. And these comments appear to mark a return to previous U.S. policy, which for decades regarded Israel's racially exclusive colonies as a clear violation of international law. Again, this is specifically the settlements in the West Bank, also uh, East Jerusalem. So the Trump administration broke with that position in late 2019 when then Secretary of State Mike Pompeo declared that Washington no longer viewed the settlements as inconsistent with international law. So Pompeo, of course, was very unhappy to hear Blinken say this. I saw him tweeting about it. Uh, And it wasn't just Blinken who said it. It was also John Kirby, the White House National Security Council spokesman, Uh, He said that U.S. policy, quote, has been consistent over a range of Republican and Democratic administrations. If there's an administration that is being inconsistent, it was the previous one, end quote. So it does seem like they're shifting the rhetoric on this. And, and, you know, this is something we've seen the U.S. sanction some some Israeli settlers, uh, pretty meaningless sanctions. I think they only targeted like four people. But what it seems to be is an effort to act like they're doing something about the settlements in the West Bank. Because if you look at the situation, the settlements, you know, again, you know, Hamas isn't in the West Bank. Hamas is in Gaza. A lot of people are propagandized into just believing, you know, the the blockade on, on Gaza is justified and all the bombing campaigns on Gaza is justified because of Hamas. But over in the West Bank, there's no Hamas, and Israeli settlers have been encroaching on Palestinian land for decades now, and this is all ramping up. Um, And obviously, that's an impediment to any sort of peace deal. There's over 500,000 Israeli settlers in the West Bank. Um, So I think that's why they're kind of doing something, you know, 
changing the, the way that they're talking about this. All right, so the next one here, U.S. officials are surprised by Houthi capabilities. So this is another one from Kyle, and it says that Joe Biden administration officials admitted that six weeks into the undeclared war in Yemen, the U.S. and U.K. strikes have failed to erode the Houthis' military capabilities. The official said that the U.S. is surprised at the Houthis' military capabilities and that Washington has a limited understanding of how advanced their weapons systems are. So... Again, since the U.S. started bombing Yemen in January, we have just seen an escalation of Houthi attacks, um, especially in the past you know week or two. Uh, and and what this CNN this is um, based on a CNN report, U.S. officials speaking to CNN, they basically say that they have no they have no idea how much damage they're actually doing to the Houthis, and that they're surprised that they keep they're able to keep increasing these attacks. Uh, one. Senior U.S. official said, quote, they continue to surprise us. We just don't have a good idea of what they still have, end quote. And other officials are saying that they might escalate into targeting Houthi leadership. So starting to kill, you know, higher up, uh, high level Houthi officials. And what's interesting is that this report also says that some administration officials now believe the best way to end the conflict is by ending the war in Gaza. Who would have thought that? And those officials believe that the Houthis will be faithful to their stated policy that the strikes on shipping will end once the Israeli onslaught in Gaza concludes. So hopefully more and more officials in the U.S. government begin to understand that, but Fortunately, right now, it seems like escalation uh, is the name of the game here. All right, so the next one here, the U.S. and the U.K. bomb Houthi sites in Yemen amid surge and Red Sea attacks. So the U.S. and Britain launched another round, you know, significant round of airstrikes over the weekend. They hit 18 Houthi sites across eight locations. So the U.S. has been constantly bombing Yemen, uh, hitting a few targets at a time, but this is the fourth time that the U.S. and the U.K. launched kind of a big round of airstrikes in Yemen. And again, it's just not, they're not seeing any results here. And even Biden admitted, you know, when they first started this thing, you think these strikes are working? And he he, he said, no, they're not working, but we're going to continue them anyway. And we're seeing they got into this thing with the Houthis with no real strategy and no exit plan. They just thought they could bomb their way out of the problem. All right, so the last story here, NATO green lights Ukrainian attacks inside Russia. So NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that Ukraine has the right to hit Russian military targets outside of Ukraine. The remarks were made as members of the North Atlantic Alliance are preparing to send Kiev weapons with longer ranges. The Kremlin has explained that it will claim more Ukrainian territory to offset the threat presented by the long-range arms. Uh, Stoltenberg said, quote, Ukraine has the right to self-defense, and that includes also striking legitimate military targets, Russian military targets outside of Ukraine. This is international law, and of course, Ukraine has the right to do so to protect itself, end quote. So apparently this is the first time that Stoltenberg endorsed, explicitly endorsed Ukrainian attacks inside uh, Russia. So very, very provocative uh, statement here from NATO and and very concerning. Um, 
All right, so that is it for the news for today. Please go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Bryce Green. Shielding U.S. public from Israeli reports of friendly fire on October 7th about how these stories about Israel killing Israelis on a, you know in their response to the October 7th attack. It's being widely reported by Israeli media, but it, it's been uh, basically buried by Western media besides kind of independent media sites. Uh, one from James Carden, post-Soviet failures, present-day realities. One from Robert Kohler, the war on Gaza, public relations versus reality. And one from John V. Walsh, Putin explains why Russia isn't a threat to Europe. And one from Julia Gledhill, Biden wants to put U.S. on a permanent war footing. Um, so that is everything for me for today. Uh, again, I hope everyone had a good weekend. Um and you could always support this show by sharing it, telling your friends, liking, subscribing, YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, wherever you watch. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and all that stuff. I will be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. <laughs>